uh, for our, our folks as they're serving the Lord in the various places where the Lord has led them. I love the song, Holy, Holy. I will, I'll have to be uh, honest with you, though. I don't even think some of those notes exist. I can't even hear them, much less sing them. But I do appreciate someone who can and uses that ability for the Lord. Amen. Good to see all of you here this morning. I'm glad that you've come. It's always difficult in the middle of the summertime. I know you've got so many different directions to go and so many different things to do. But I have to say to you that I'm glad I came to church this morning. You know, I prayed about it, thought I ought to come, and so I'm glad I did. <laughs> and hopefully you did too. I pray that you did pray about the services this morning. You understand that you usually get out of a service what you put into it. And so if you come just kind of expecting to, somebody else to bless you, and sitting there with your arms crossed and, the, you know, the mean look on your face, then you'll probably go home about the same way as you came. But if you come expecting a blessing and determined to give everything that you can to worship and serve the Lord, then you'll get a blessing out of it, I can guarantee. Open Bibles, if you would, please. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. I do want to say while you're looking, a very hearty thank you to all of those that helped us. This past Tuesday, as most of you are aware, was the 4th of July, Independence Day celebrating the signing of the Declaration of, the, of Independence for our nation 241 years ago. And our church had a small participation with the city of Webster in the big uh, ceremony, big uh, celebration that they do on uh, the 4th of July. And we're very grateful for the opportunity to participate. We're grateful to all of you who helped us in doing that. Had a lot of folks come out and just help us to give out water and let people know that we're here and pray with some folks and so forth. And so appreciate all of those that participated. Those of you that didn't, well, we'll probably be doing something similar again next year unless we're having church at that time, just so you'll know, okay? Uh, but we'll be working toward that. And, uh, very good. Jo- uh, James chapter 3, we're going to start from there. We're going to read verse 13 and following this morning. And I'm going to invite you, if you would please, if you found the passage, to stand with me in reverence to the Word of God. James chapter 3 beginning in verse 13, a very well-known passage of Scripture to many of you. But the Bible says this, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for bringing us here to your house this morning. We thank you for... Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed for us there on the cross of Calvary for the remission of our sins. Lord, we thank you for the grace by which that blood was administered to our hearts. And we thank you for allowing us to hear your word at an age or a time in our lives when we could respond in faith. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that has not yet responded to that message in faith, that they would trust you before they leave this place today, that they would hear enough of your gospel to be convicted of their sin and recognize their need of a Savior and be born again before they leave. But Lord, we've come today because your people also have need of you. We, 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 uh, we don't want to just go through the motions. We certainly don't want to just do the things that we do. We, we want to meet with you who are the true and living God, and we want to have our hearts stirred again by the power of your word. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to speak to us today. 
in order that the words that we speak and the actions that we perform not be performed in vain. And so, Lord, we give you this service. We ask you to touch our hearts and draw us to yourself. If there is any of your children here this morning that are not right with you, they're not in the place where they ought to be, and I dare say that that speaks to most of us at least some of the time, I pray that you would draw us back to yourself and put us in the right frame of mind and the right condition of spirit that we might respond to you in obedience. Lord, as your vessel today, as always, I want to ask for a fullness of your spirit. I want to ask you for forgiveness of sins, and I ask that there not be anything in me that will hinder your word as it goes forth. I pray the same for those that hear. May all, we all respond, Lord, in the way that you choose to have us respond. Glorify yourself, I pray, in all that we say and do today, in Jesus' name. Thank you, folks. You can be seated. On and off through the course of the summer, we've been looking at some biblical principles drawn primarily from the book of James that show us the difference between real faith and what we've been calling fake faith. This is faith that is in some way artificial, faith that is some way based on something other than what it ought to be based upon. I trust that you understand that there's so much in the world that's called faith that really has nothing at all to do with God's portrayal of faith. These are cheap imitations, we could say. These faiths place confidence in someone or something other than the Christ of the Bible, other than what God has told us and revealed to us in his word. They're rooted rooted deeply in the wisdom of men. And I must say that they're woefully lacking when it comes to permanent and complete life change. People today rest in their own opinions, their own efforts, some religion or other, secular humanism, entertainment-based morals, and celebrity faith. There are many false prophets that have gone out into the world, some touting their brand of religious truth, but not based exclusively on the Word of God while others tout a sort of godless faith, assuming that finite, fallible, and mortal man can somehow have all the answers without God. The reality is that there's only one true faith. Folks, that's not bigoted, it's just truth. It is a logical and biblical explanation of absolute truth as revealed to us in the Word of God. If there is absolute truth, then everything else must be, by definition, falsehood. Faith in anything other than absolute truth is foolish faith and is consequently fake. We must then proclaim and live lives based on real faith. Now, in our series so far, we've already seen that fake faith does not withstand trial, that fake faith hears but does not obey, that fake faith is not compassionate, and we're going to go back and visit that one again probably next week, the Lord willing. And fake faith does not control the tongue. That's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Today I want to continue along those lines by looking further down in James chapter 3. The early part of James chapter 3, of course, talks about controlling the tongue, controlling what we say. We're going to touch on that again this morning. But we're going to look further down in the passage, and we're going to be looking at how faith relates to true wisdom. For our purposes today, then, we're pointing out fake faith as foolish faith, understanding that in our case, the terminology means or refers to faith that is without true biblical or godly wisdom, calling it simply foolish faith. 
It would be foolish to trust in someone who's untrustworthy, right? It's foolish to depend on someone who has already been proven not once but multiple times to be a liar. It's foolish to rest on things that we know will falter and fail. I submit to you this morning that we have one absolute truth. We have one true and living God. He has given to us his word, and by his word we can know true biblical wisdom. Something on which we can rely, something on which we can depend. So in order to begin this morning, we're going to be looking at the latter half, if you will, beginning in James chapter 3, and actually going to be spending most of our time this morning just on verse 13, where the Bible says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. This ties in directly with many of the things that we've already seen. If We've been preaching lightly through the book of James, talking about real and fake faith. But I want to talk to you for a moment, if I can, about the desirability of wisdom. Wisdom is something that ought to be sought after. The question that's asked in the beginning of verse number 13, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? This is a question that hints at the desirability of certain traits. The traits that are specifically mentioned is, the first one is a wise man. Who is a wise man? If I were to ask for a show of hands this morning, I'm not going to, so don't raise your hand. But if I were to ask for a show of hands, uh, we might get a mixed result if I were to ask you who amongst us is wise. Who among you is a wise man or a wise woman? Some of you might quickly slip the hand up and say, well, I am. Look at me, you know. Others, understanding the meekness of wisdom that we're going to be talking about in a few moments, would be a little bit more hesitant to lift the hand. But within your heart of hearts, you would be thinking, yeah, that's me. But I wonder really how many of us really are truly, according to the word of God, wise men or women. Uh, According to this passage, the Bible says who is a wise man. A wise man, for our purposes, uh, is one with moral insight. He's a man with skill in the practical issues of life. He's a man who knows how to take the truths, the principles that are revealed to us in in the word of God and somehow make them live on a daily basis, make them refer to or apply to normal, everyday circumstances and lifestyles. The Bible also talks about a man who is endued with knowledge. One who is endued with knowledge is someone who is intelligent, someone who is intelligent not necessarily just through book learning but through experience, having the knowledge of an expert. One who is well-versed, if you will, in truth. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. As we're talking about the answer to the question, who is a wise man? Who is a man that is endued with knowledge among you? I have to point out to you that the Bible strongly recommends that you seek after wisdom. The Bible tells us over and over again, and one of the uh, Proverbs, of course, is the wisdom book. It is the book that, uh, that teaches us the the desirability of wisdom, and uh, there are other places in Scripture, of course, but I want to read you just a few passages in the Proverbs. You can look them up if you'd like, or they're up on the wall. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. Happy is that man. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5 says, Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Verse 7 of the same passage, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. I think 
Solomon, at least at this particular point, must have had roots in Texas, don't you? I mean, who else says, with all thy getting, get? Right? <laughs> he says, with all thy getting, get understanding. I love the way it's expressed, but I think he makes it very plain, don't you? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 16, how much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 11, for wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. I don't know about you, but I'm getting the idea that wisdom is pretty important. Wisdom, as God presents it, is something that really ought to be sought after. God says, seek it as a treasure. It's more important or it's more precious than diamonds. It's more precious than rubies. It's more precious than gold. God puts high esteem or high uh, estimation on the value of wisdom. The theme of the eighth chapter of the book of Proverbs, here with this last verse that we read, appears is the personification of wisdom. If you read Proverbs chapter 8, and by the way, this is free, doesn't cost anything, but let me challenge you in your daily devotional, make a habit of reading something from the Proverbs every day. I try to read a chapter from the Proverbs every day in my devotions, and it just kind of reminds me of practical wisdom. How can I serve God practically on a day-to-day basis? There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, so on the months that have 31 days, you can read a chapter a day, and it just fits, Right? On the word of the chat, the work, the months, there we go, I get it out. The months that have 30 days, you might have to squeeze an extra chapter in there somewhere. And the month that has 28 days, well, you're on your own. You've got to figure that one out. Uh, but the point is that if you read something from the Proverbs, it gives you some practical wisdom of, regarding uh, the, the use of the Word of God and living out your Christianity on a practical level. Proverbs chapter 8, though, is a personification of wisdom. It, it gives wisdom the attributes of an individual, of a person. And wisdom in Proverbs 8 is talking to us as if uh, he or she uh, were a person. Now, we understand. uh, Go with me for an example. Proverbs 8, verse 35. For whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Who's speaking there? Well, wisdom is speaking there. But I want to tell you this morning that wisdom has a name. And the name is Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 to 12. Go back to Proverbs 8, verse 37. Uh, 35 says, Whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Compare that, if you will, to 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Obviously, there are many places in the Scripture where we could go that shows that Jesus is the light of life. He is the life, uh, that, 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 and especially eternal life that he gives to us. He is the giver of life. Why is the resurrection such a, such a part of the character of God? It's because Jesus is himself life. It is impossible that he should be holden of death, right? And he, te- he himself tells us that. So the point is that Jesus Christ is the personification of wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, the Bible says this, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The point is that there's one source, one fount, if you will, of true biblical wisdom. Obviously, as we're going to see as we go through, it it comes from the application of the written word of God in our lives on a daily basis. But it starts with a knowledge of, a personal relationship with, if you will, the one who is wisdom himself. And that is Jesus Christ. Wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 tells us. We also understand that all true wisdom comes from God. Can I, te- can I go so far as to say that there is no real wisdom outside of God? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. All wisdom, all real wisdom is rooted in the fear of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that that wisdom is directly linked to his word. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, a rather lengthy portion. You can read it in your Bibles if you'd like. The Bible says this, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. And you see what we're talking about? The wisdom of God is rooted in the word of God, and it's applied directly. Excuse me, I, I dropped my pointer. I can't, I can't preach without this in my hand. You understand that, right? <laughs> no. uh, but uh, the wisdom of God comes through the direct application of the word of God. The Bible tells us further in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We already saw that in Proverbs 1 and verse 7, but it's reiterated here in Proverbs 9 and verse 10, the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, a free and shameless commercial, by the way. We're going through the book of Daniel on our Wednesday night Bible study, having a great time doing it. Uh, if you're missing our Wednesday night, you're missing a blessing, okay? That's enough said. We invite you to come 7 o'clock Wednesday night, every Wednesday night, unless we happen to say otherwise, and that only happens about once a year, okay? Uh, but Proverbs, uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, it says, He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up, kingdom, or, king, setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Did you catch the last part of that verse? He giveth wisdom to the wise, and he gives knowledge to them that know understanding. All knowledge is God's knowledge. All truth is God's truth. All wisdom is God's wisdom. And we acquire wisdom through the direct application of God's word. James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, go to the Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh, wait a minute. I misread that. That's not what it says, is it? Come on, help me out. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. God is the one who gives us wisdom. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Who is the wise man? The one that hears the words of Jesus and does them. Right? So wisdom, as the Bible presents it, is directly linked to the person of God, specifically the person of Jesus Christ, the Son, and the living Word of God as it lives itself out through us on a daily basis. Now, what we're trying to say with all this, folks, is we're talking about the desirability of wisdom, is that fake faith, faith that is not real, is a faith that eschews wisdom, or, perhaps worse, leans on some man-made sham of wisdom. Some artificial wisdom that is not true wisdom. What am I talking about? I'm so glad you asked. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Some of you are sleeping, folks. Wake up. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. 
will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And I'm trying to tell you folks, and by the way, if you read the rest of James chapter 3, you'll quickly find out that there are two kinds of wisdom in the world. There's God's wisdom, and then there's everything else. Everything else is classified by God as earthly, sensual, devilish. Straight out of the pits of hell, in other words. And God says that's that's man-made wisdom. That's wisdom that comes from uh, some source other than God. And so as we look at back to like 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the rest of that chapter, we're not going to take the time to read it right now, but all of that compares the futility of man's wisdom with the wisdom of God. So essentially what I'm trying to tell you is that God desires that we be wise. He wants us to be wise, but he wants us to seek after our true, real wisdom. And if we're going to have real faith, it has to be based in real wisdom, right? Listen, you can't know something that's not true. Does that make any sense to you? If something is not true and you know it, you know what you know? You know a lie. I see some of you looking confused. One of these days that's going to sink into you. But you can't know something that's not true. You can only know truth, right? And that truth comes from the Word of God. Now, having said that, let me move on to the important part, the wise part, if you will, of the message this morning. There is the desirability of wisdom, but God also presents to us in the latter part of James chapter 3 a demonstration of that wisdom. How do you know if you've got it? Well, it demonstrates itself. It shows itself in our lives. Let's read the verse again, verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Let him show. What is he showing? He's showing wisdom. How is he showing it? He's showing it with, uh, uh, out of a good conversation, his works with meekness of wisdom. Now, let's talk about this for just a moment. He says, show it out of a good conversation. What does that mean? Well, what it doesn't mean is the way you talk. Okay? Now, uh, let me clarify. We're not talking about speech here. We've already talked about speech earlier on in James chapter 3. The first verse of James chapter 3 warns about the accountability of those whose primary method of demonstrating wisdom is through speech. James chapter 3 verse 1, you've got to pay close attention to what it's saying here. And my clicker has quick clicking, gentlemen, in the back. James chapter 3 and verse 1, what have we got going on? There we go. I dropped it and it quit working, right? All right. James chapter 3 verse 1, uh, the Bible says there, My brethren, be not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Now, I'm not going to get into a full exposition of what James 3, chapter 3, verse 1 is talking about, other than just to say this. There's nothing wrong with being a teacher. That's not what he's rebuking us for, being a master in that sense. Uh, nothing wrong with being that, although the Bible does say, call no man master upon the earth. That's a different sermon. First Timothy chapter 3, and verse 1, however, says this. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Sounds like God's speaking pretty positively about teaching absolute truth, don't you? Don't you think? Uh, Romans chapter 12 verse 7, Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching 
So God is not rebuking anybody who would teach. He's not saying don't teach at all. Uh, in fact, there are many instructions in the Bible where the Bible tells us, for example, those who would be bishops need to be apt to teach. They need to teach. So he's not talking about don't do it at all. He's just saying don't rush into it. Don't get in a hurry about it because you're much more accountable for what you teach others. You're much more accountable for what you say. In other words, let me try to summarize it if I can. If you're a teacher, if you're a master, if you're directing someone else, you better be sure that what you say is right and that it's spoken in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So we speak the truth in love. We teach what is the truth of the word of God. The truly wise man then demonstrates his wisdom more by what he does not say than by what he says, and also by the manner in which he says what he does say. And we talked about that all through the early part of James chapter 3. Let me just read verse 2 for you again. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect, a mature uh, man, a complete man, if you will, and able also to bridle the whole body. The same is a perfect man. And so the wise man is one who demonstrates his wisdom, by what he does not say, by how he controls his tongue, how he uses that ability to communicate that God's given to him. Let me just say this as we move on. Fake faith, well, here, let's read it in Proverbs. Fake faith utters all its mind. Proverbs 29, verse 11, a fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. You can take that one home and chew on it for a little while. Just think about what it says, all right? Uh, so a fake faith is a, is a faith that utters all its mind. It's always spouting off at the mouth, as my dad used to say. Uh, okay, It's just uh, it's, it's quick to speak, but it's slow to hear and slow to accept or receive wisdom. Conversation, however, in this passage is not primarily talking about what you say. In the latter part of James chapter 3, it's more talking about what you do. That is your manner of life. Let me give you an example. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. For ye have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Paul there is not talking about his pre-conversion life. Uh, he's not talking about what he said. He's talking about what he did, right? He, he said, this is what I was before I met Jesus. This is what my lifestyle was like before I met the Lord on the road to Damascus. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12 having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Some of you think, well, that means talking, saying true things, right? Speaking the truth. That's not necessarily what it's referring to exclusively. It says that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So he's talking more about your lifestyle. When the Bible uses uh, the term conversation, most of the time he's talking about the way you live. And so we go back to James chapter 3, and we see in verse 13, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show or demonstrate out of his good conversation his works with meekness of patience. How do you show that you're wise? You demonstrate that you're wise by the things that you do by how you live. Go back to James chapter 2, verse 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I will show you my faith, how? By my works. So our works, the way that we live, the things that we do, the way that we treat other people, is a demonstration of real faith in our hearts. 
What kind of actions then are we talking about? We're talking about works or conversation that is fitting to or in keeping with the gospel which we preach. Go, if you would, please, to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. The Bible says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. As it becometh the gospel of Christ. Um, that's a word we don't use much anymore. Folks used to say, that suit really becomes you. It doesn't mean that it turns into you. It means it looks good on you, right? And so uh, when we're talking about conversation that becometh the gospel of Christ, what are we talking about? We're talking about conversation, lifestyle, that looks good on the gospel, right? Or that reflects well on the gospel which we preach. It says that whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So we ought to live lives that are in keeping with or look good on the gospel which we preach. In other words, we ought to maintain a good, perfect testimony before the world. It doesn't mean you never do anything wrong. It just means you don't do it on purpose, right? Uh, that, that that's not your lifestyle, that that's not the way that you live. Uh, works that manifest a very real dependence on God is something else that's included here. Works that look good on the gospel, works that manifest a total dependence on God. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, let your conversation, there's that word again, let your conversation be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. In a couple of weeks, Lord willing, I'm going to talk to you about this idea of materialism. But it says, For he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Be content with such things as you have. Rest in the provision of God. And so our conversation, our lifestyle, when we're talking about good works, folks, listen, it's very easy to talk about good works in a very nebulous uh, sort, of a, sort of a way where we're really not locking anything down in concrete fashion. It's like, okay, well, live good works, do good, do good things, do good deeds. I remember when I was uh, in Cub Scouts a long, long, long time ago, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I, you know, uh, do good deeds was one of, the, one of the things that we had to memorize. They're supposed to do. I, man, I memorized it. Had no idea what I was talking about, right? Well, what's a good deed? Well, you know, the, the typical thing was to help a lady cross the street or something like that. Uh, find out that sometimes that lady doesn't want to cross that street, you know. Uh, but, but the point is, uh, how do we define what are good deeds? What are good words? What's good conversation? Well, it's conversation that looks good on the gospel. It's a good testimony for Jesus Christ. It's also conversation that manifests a true dependence on God. And it's conversation or lifestyle that would, em- <laughs> here you go, that would embarrass those that lie about Christians and Christianity. Now, what am I talking about here? They, they may simply not understand it, but they're portraying untruths about uh, Christianity. What a, most of you know that we don't watch, at my house, we don't usually watch a lot of TV, right? It's, there's just a lot of nonsense on there. But can I be real honest with you? One of the, real, one of the reasons why uh, is because of the way that they portray the people of God. Now, you understand, I'm a preacher. Can't help it, that's just the way I am, right? (laughs) Uh, Do you ever see the preachers on TV? They're nuts, every one of them. I mean, they're crazy as loons, right? Most of them are out to get something. They're thieves, they're robbers, you know? And I'm thinking, you know what? 
That's not Christianity. That's not reality. That's not what it really is. And then even the everyday Christian individual, if it's the way it's portrayed in Hollywood and even the way it's perceived in the popular culture, listen, folks, I don't want to burst your bubble, but they'll think you're nuts. Right? Because of the way it's been portrayed. But look what the Bible says. First uh, Peter chapter 3, the Bible says, verse 16, Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about the fact that we as God's children, if we're going to demonstrate wisdom in the world, we're going to show wisdom, we're going to allow the Word of God to work itself out in our life in such a way that when they want to say something bad about us, they can't because they can't find anything to say. And if they go ahead and say it anyway, then it comes back to embarrass them. Isn't that what you're understanding here? It says that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation. Live in such a way that if you're accused of false deeds, no one will believe you. Right? That's what good conversation is. Have such integrity of life that you represent God in everything that you say and do so that even those that lie about you are embarrassed about it. Titus chapter 2 verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. You want to be wise? You want to show wise wisdom to the world? Live in such a way that when they accuse you falsely for Jesus' sake, it becomes an embarrassment to them. Fake faith has words that are inconsistent with its lifestyle. But real faith is a faith that lives what it says in real wisdom. It demonstrates, it lives a life, a conversation, if you will, that is becoming to godliness. Now let me wrap up with this. There's another phrase in here that we dare not jump over. It says, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. What's that work? What's that meekness of wisdom thing all about? Meekness in this context is quiet and honest humility. Based on a true understanding of life and of God's working in us. It's an understanding that God is doing a work in us and that if anybody should get the glory for what happens, it ought to be God. If any man glory, let him glory in the Lord. Wisdom is both received and demonstrated by this character trait of meekness. Now, meekness, humility, if you will, is not, is not a real popular virtue in our world today. You seldom see, uh, going back to Hollywood again, you seldom see uh, superheroes portrayed as being meek, right? They use Most of the time they're pretty braggadocious. Most of the time they're pretty full of themselves. Uh, but, but the reality is that we who are God's children have nothing to be proud of other than Christ who lives within us. We are what we are because of him. And so we have this quiet, honest humility that's wrought by the engrafted word of God. James chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. I love that phrase, just because I like the way it rolls off the tongue. 
I think I'm going to go around all week saying superfluity of naughtiness, just to prove that I can. But anyway, uh, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Psalm 25 and verse 9. Didn't get that particular passage on there. So turn there in your Bibles, if you would, please. Psalm 25. Excuse me. Psalm 25 and verse 9. This is kind of an afterthought. But the Bible says this, Psalm 25 and verse 9. There is no Psalm 25 and verse 9. Well, no wonder I didn't get in there. Never mind. <laughs> Don't you love it when that happens? Hey, listen, humiliating experience. That's good, right? Uh, that shows wisdom. Can I, can, is it in there? Psalm 25 and verse 9. Man, I, I messed up. I thought I messed up. All right, let me find it. Psalm 25. And verse 9, okay, I don't know what I was looking at before. There it is. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. The meek will he teach his way. The point that I'm trying to make here, and I think the Word of God makes, is that it is, it is the Word of God as it's engrafted into our hearts and lives that teaches us meekness. And it is by weak meekness that we receive it. We must be willing in order to receive the beginning of wisdom to humbly acknowledge the absolute truth of all that the Bible says about us, about our sin, about our just deserts. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I don't have time to preach this this morning, but what essentially it's talking about is the fact that we see ourselves as God sees us and we agree with him. And it reminds you that salvation only comes to those who are willing to humble themselves before the Lord. Psalm 149, verse 4, For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, He giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Uh, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 10 of the same passage, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. The point is that in order to begin to have wisdom, we must humbly admit that we stand justly condemned before a righteous God. We must humbly accept that we're powerless to do anything about it. We must humbly recognize that only the finished work of Christ on the cross can make us acceptable to God. And we must humbly cry out to God for that mercy. Guess what I'm trying to say, folks, is that fake faith is proud. Fake faith looks down on others, whether they be saved or lost, whereas real faith demonstrates godly character by recognizing that we are nothing and he is everything. That if I be anything, it is because of Christ that worketh in me. And then when you get home, you can study out the latter part of this chapter and see how all of that produces a preeminence of peace within the heart of life of that man who is truly wise. Listen, turmoil, whether it be internal or external, turmoil is not a sign of wisdom. Peace is. And you'll see that in the rest of that chapter. The challenge this morning is to seek godly wisdom, to be wise in our faith, not to be foolish, not to just believe everything that comes along. To accept the wisdom of God that comes through the word of God, manifest in the living word who lives in us, that is Jesus Christ, all for the purpose of glorifying and exalting his holy name.
So again, I would ask you the question that I didn't ask you at the beginning. Is any wise among you? The Bible tells us this morning how we can tell. Where is your wisdom level? We're going to have in just a moment an invitation, and during the invitation, our first invitation, of course, is for those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. We would invite you to begin to have wisdom by coming and allowing us to introduce you to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Those of you who already belong to him, let me invite you once again to the demonstration of the manifestation of wisdom in your life. Will you stand with me, please, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, will you take your words as gone forth? Will you cause it to accomplish its purpose in us? We thank you for your power. We thank you for your grace. Now, Lord, bless the invitation time, I pray in Jesus' name.